Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Coach Zach Evan Esch of Underground Strength, hosted by Chris Korber. Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective podcast, and I'm your host, Christopher Korper. I'm going to read from an excerpt from the Encyclopedia of Underground Strength and Conditioning to kick us off. I was three or four years old, but it seems like it was only three or four minutes ago. The year, 1978 or 79. I lived in an apartment complex in Fords, New Jersey. My older brother and I were in the pool throwing our toy dinosaurs up in the air, trying to catch them and having a good old time. I accidentally threw my toy dinosaur out of the pool and over the fence. Outside the fence, there was a wooded area and my brother and I ran to get my dinosaur. How we got on the other side of the fence is all a blur to me, but what happened when we began looking for the dinosaur is crystal clear. We weren't sure where the dinosaur was as we walked side by side, scanning the ground covered heavy by leaves on this perfect summer day. And in a split second, our moment of laughter and happiness came to a screeching halt when I got hit in the face by something. That something was hard and it hurt. It really freaking hurt. Boom. I got hit again and again and again. I began crying and screaming in pain, rocks hitting my face time and time again, one inch below my right eye. In the far distance, I saw the bad kids from the apartments throwing rocks at me. We were always told to stay away from these kids, and now I knew why. This assault was happening at the speed of light. In the pool one second, having a blast, would only seem like moments later being attacked with stones. I began grabbing at the ground and throwing anything my hands in my hands their way, desperately hoping I could hit them back. I remember the exact thoughts running through my head. I was screaming at them to stop, yet questioning how they could keep hitting me with such perfect aim, despite being so far away. Every time I grabbed at the ground to throw a stone at them, my hands came up empty with nothing but leaves. Finally, my brother freaked out and grabbed me, pulling me to run away and escape to some form of safety. We began to run, and we never looked back as our voices screamed with frantic cries. As we were climbing over the fence to get home, one of the teenagers who was throwing rocks at me ran up to us and stopped at the fence. There we were, the three of us hanging on the fence side by side, and he asked me, Zach, is it bad? Are you hurt bad? I was crying as he looked at my face with a frightened look. As I clung to that fence, I screamed my answer, yes. I recall the shocked look on his face when he saw that he and his friends had done to my face. My brother and I ran home, told my parents what happened. As I cried out of fear and shock from what just happened, I asked my father, am I hurt bad? Does it look bad? Show me in the mirror. My father lifted me up in the bathroom so I could see his face, my face in the mirror. My face was covered in blood. I was crying so much that I was wiping my face and my eyes from the tears, spreading the blood all over my face. I was rushed to the hospital where my brother told me, Zach, just don't let them touch you. I cried as they stitched my face up right under my eye. I remember leaving the hospital with a surgical glove blown up in a smiley face with a smiley face on it. That is the earliest memory of life. It's my, my earliest memory of life. That is the first time I remember learning to fight back without backing down like a pit bull. If my brother hadn't pulled me away, I don't know if I would have had my right eye today. He saved me that day. That day taught me that even when you are outnumbered and smaller than your competition, you don't ever back down. When the dust settles and clears, it is those who stand up for what they believe in that rise above. And that is an excerpt from the Encyclopedia of Underground Strength and Conditioning by Zach Evanesh, who is joining us on the podcast today. 
Zach, welcome to the Strength Coach Collective. It's a pleasure yeah. to have you on. Uh, thanks, dude. I It's crazy. That's what I remember. That's my first memory of life. Crazy. How has that moment defined you as a coach? Man, I haven't thought about that thing for a long time. Um, I actually drove <clears throat> to that apartment complex maybe a year or a year and a half ago. Sometimes when I go to my gym up in North Jersey, I'll sometimes like get off and exit to drive through where we grew up just to kind of remember where I came from. I don't know if it's defined me as a strength coach, but I know just those, the area I grew up in, and I explained it actually to the high school kids today about, you know, why I began doing push-ups and calisthenics as a kid was not because of why they do it to look better. Girls see your chest and arms big. It, it was not like that. There was just a lot of like, you know, jerk off bully kids that if you weren't strong, you were going to get your butt kicked. And I'd started exercising out of fear. <laughs> it's crazy. And so I explained to my own kids, I explained to the athletes, like nobody's running around punching you in the face. It's not, nobody's bullying you. Nobody's threatening <clears throat> to find you after school and kick your ass. And so without that threat, like training is, you know, it's just not this thing that's constantly on your mind. And so for me, I started training like out of fear, you know, I was afraid of what some of these kids in our town, in the high school, in the middle school would do. How has it shaped me as a coach? I don't know if it's that experience, but it's certainly been so many of my experiences, including, you know, not just the, the bad things that happened, but the good things, the way the coaches coached me. Um, the I would also say the mistakes I made, <clears throat> you know, the, the problems with my knee and my shoulder. I look back and say, well, you know, we didn't know any better with this crazy high volume training and forced reps and negatives and all that. And now I know that doing any of that stuff is not going to preserve the athlete's body. And so I take, you know, when I look at what I do as a coach, I don't look at, well, I started, you know, coaching strength and conditioning in 2002. I look back to 1989 when I began, you know, legitimately training or exercising. I wouldn't call what I did was try. I thought I was training, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but in 1989, the, the knowledge wasn't that good. And <clears throat> ironically, uh, yesterday, I was going through, so behind my desk, I've got my library and I've got stacks of old books. And so I was going through some old Iron Man magazines from the 70s and 1980. And I'm like, man, this is actually what I needed. But those magazines were, you know, Iron Man became like this fitness bodybuilding. Whereas if you look in Iron Man in the 70s and early 80s, it's powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting. It's some strongman training, muscular development had strength and conditioning, you know, um, strength and health magazine was created by Bob Hoffman of, you know, York barbell in the late eighties, early nineties, it was muscle and fitness and flex magazine. They ran the show. And so the wrong timing and getting the wrong information. And so all of these mistakes I've made blended with good experiences 
they kind of all get blended together when I'm, when I'm coaching. So I think about the, the current state of health and fitness and just the amount of information that's out there for us as coaches. Yeah. When in the past it was magazines and books. Now we have social media and the internet and it's exploded the amount of information out there. What would your advice be to coaches, young coaches, or, um, who are navigating that information, how they can best progress and, and yeah. best coach. Have you, I, I think about that all the time now, cause I'm, I'm a little bit younger, a little bit um, earlier on the path. And, uh, and that's something that's, that's quite challenging to navigate as a young oh, coach. Yeah. I, I've gotten ironically the, the podcast question I answered yesterday hits this topic. And then one of my former athletes from high school and college reached out to me and I said, you need to research meaning. I think a lot of coaches get caught up stuck on um, Instagram and YouTube and a strength coach, you know, even said this to me, he goes, Zach, like, People don't go to websites anymore. They go to Instagram and YouTube. And then I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's in like video production. He goes, Zach, people absolutely do go to websites if the content is good. And I said, yeah, but some of these younger coaches, they don't really even know what a blog is. If they're in their 20s, they may not know what a blog is. You know, when I was blogging in the early 2000s till I'd say like 2012 when like Instagram really took off. People started um, really leaving, you know, blogs and just going on social sites. Like you said, I tell guys all the time, if you want to learn business, go to my website and type in business in the search button. If you want to learn about wrestling, type in wrestling. If you want to learn football, type football. If you want to learn plyometrics, go to my website and type that in. But what they do is they go to your website and they see what's on the front page and that's it. They go to Instagram and they go to YouTube and whatever's coming up on their feed. Boom. That's it. I explain is you should go back to my first video on YouTube in 2006 and see what I was doing. And of course there was a lot of mistakes, but there was a lot of powerful stuff there. And you want to be able to look at it and say, I could take this and this, but I'm not going to take, you know, X, Y, I'll take ABC, but I'm not going to take X, Y, Z. So you need to be great at research versus only consuming what comes to your face because of the Instagram algorithm, the YouTube algorithm. You mentioned Jocko, you like a couple of Jocko videos. Now you're going to get more Jocko in your feed and you're going to get more David Goggins and other Navy SEALs in your feed. But, you know, um, how many of the young strength coaches have listened and studied, you know, um, Al Vermeil or any of these, you know, or Bob Hoffman. So year, a couple of years ago, it was like two and two years ago, year and a half ago, play did like a whole throwback of videos with me called iron roots. I don't even think they have a thousand views and it's me like going to the origins of five by five, which was Reg park and then bill star. Um, a strength coach at a big, a big division one university reached out to me and he was watching those videos. He's like, dude, I didn't even know who, you know, I can't remember who it was, but uh, I did stuff on like Zuver's gym 
Dr. Ken Leisner, all of these people that paved the way, you know, Dr. Ken was doing strongman training in like 1970, 1968. And so you want to research not so much just the information, but you want to know the men and the women who kind of paved the way. Like, I don't even know who the first collegiate female strength coach was. And there's not too many girls in strength and conditioning, you know, it's very tough for them. And so for the women listening out there, they should dig that up and really research so they could learn what were their struggles? You know, how did they overcome the struggles? What were the obstacles that they were able to transform into opportunity? And uh, I, you know, some of my older, you know, my strength coaches that are older than me, they're like, man, you were born in the wrong era, Zach. <laughs> they're like, you, you should have been probably like strength and conditioning in the seventies, you know, the way you like dig into stuff. And so having that older information can make you a better strength coach. You know, even <clears throat> my own staff, they were doing box squats. And what's crazy is I've sent them, um, you know, uh, information on box squats, stuff with Matt Wenning, with Louis Simmons. And we share, they share videos and everybody's doing a touch and go. And I, and I had to send them guys, that's not how we do a box squat. And ironically, a couple of years ago, I remember seeing at a big division one university touch and go box squats, which you could use the box as like, as like a depth, you know, um, check you, you touch and go if somebody's struggling with depth, but it's supposed to be different than a regular squat. You're supposed to sit back, you know, your trunk is stable. Then you're supposed to pause for a second and, Lucky for me, you know, this won't happen today. In the early years of the early 2000s, I would call Louis Simmons every week and be on the phone with him on the phone. And then I would buy stuff from him. I would buy his VHS tapes and I would watch them over and over and over and really learn. And even when I came across uh, Westside Barbell the first time, I, I, I printed out every article and put it in a three ring binder. Those articles were the ones that he was writing for Powerlifting USA. Powerlifting USA was around when I was bodybuilding in the late 80s. But in the gym I was in, even though it would have been great for strength and conditioning powerlifting, there was like five powerlifters in there. One guy was kind of like short and fat. Another guy was tall and skinny. Nobody had this kind of like appealing look to them. So it didn't, you know, pull me in. But I always say, man, if I would have came across Louis' information at those younger years, it would have transformed the trajectory of my own, you know, high school sports experience. And then I would have had less injuries and I probably would have, you know, wrestled in college or just, you know, all of these things. So I think coaches today need to uh, shut the internet off, right. Or, or shut the social apps off and go and dig up some of the older stuff. You know, I, I think I was lucky, Chris, in my earlier years in that the place to really get written, you know, knowledge on the internet, strength and conditioning was elite FTS. That was kind of the main go-to. And so I came across Jim Wendler, Dave Tate, um, being in New Jersey, of course, I knew of Joe DeFranco. And so that was where I got my information from. Now you have so much information and what's a little bit tricky is 
you know, a strength coach who's 25 years old hasn't gone through the mileage. Like I'm 45. I started training at age 13. So I'm training almost 32 years. So I'm training longer than a 25 year old strength coach has been alive. So I've seen infinitely more squats and little nuances. And so maybe our physiques at age 45 don't match, you know, the Instagram guy who's 22, but the experience is what you want to take from us. You know, I often say there was no, we didn't have no video camera to record what I was doing in my late teens and early twenties. And I would say, wow, I wish I could have shared it, but now it's more of just sharing the experiences. And so coaches who are, you know, recently I deleted the social apps off my phone. It's just good to take a break because then I could go back to these old books and magazines. Um, they're not on this desk, but on my um, desk at my high school, I have a lot of the old stuff. I just bought this. This just came today. This is an old book. Nice. Three more reps. This is a reprint though. That's something kind of like bummed out. I thought it was an original. And so the photos are not as like gloss as I wish they were, but it's all these bodybuilding routines. And <clears throat> I still use bodybuilding methods for athletes because a lot of them don't have the muscle mass because they're not, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, we always say as kids nowadays, blah, blah, blah. Well, kids played more. They also had manual labor jobs. Lots of kids were mowing lawns and working for, you know, the, um, the local lawn care company. And so they were doing yard work very often, working for the landscaper. They don't. And so when you get a high school athlete, you know, they can't squat, which is like saying, dude, you, you would struggle to sit on the toilet bowl. And so you need to do bodybuilding methods. And so I take bodybuilding. I take old, you know, I take weightlifting. I take powerlifting. I take calisthenics and blend all that stuff together. So that's, Chris, that's, man, that's, I, that's what I love about what I'm you bad do. at answering questions no. concisely. So I got it. It was like a 15 minute answer. <laughs> Well, there's so much value there. Um, and uh, the, the blending of those different methods is, is a result of how much you've, you've studied and researched and, and practiced and tested yeah. in real time these, these different ideas and concepts. As, as I've coached athletes in my gym, um, I will learn something through research and oftentimes I'll apply it to my own training Right. And, and experience it myself as a coach That's and, and see how it feels. And then, and then I can more greatly say to these guys, Hey, here's not only the reason behind why we would apply this method, but here's what you can expect to feel as a result. So being under the bar in addition to real research can be just so valuable. And you're a great example of that and all of your content um, on social media, which, which, it, which is great, but, but also just uh, in the things that you've written and what you've put out there on your website and everywhere else. So it's, it's like in society, we can, we forget our history and our roots. Yes. We, we can go off course and so, such is the case in strength and conditioning. Yep. If we forget our roots or we don't even know what they Correct. are, or where things come from, yeah. uh, the, the depth isn't there. And I think then we, we can, bounce from thing to thing or chase a shiny object. Um, we, we totally can. And what you said, Chris, so I just want to like jump in on that about you doing the workout. 
um, when any, if there's a coach who's going to intern at my private facilities, mm-hmm. um, they spend the first like two to four weeks only lifting. Mm-hmm. They don't like, they're just, they don't just shadow me. So they, they shadow me for the first groups and then they lift with the last group for a couple of reasons. Why the last group? Because sometimes as a strength coach, your day is so crazy. You didn't get in your own workout, but you still got to live the code and do the thing that you're talking about. You, you need to almost learn what, is it the best thing to train when you're tired? No. But if you're a strength coach, oftentimes our schedules are just not optimal or even healthy and you got to get that workout in. Number two, if they train at four o'clock and then they're sweaty and exhausted, now they can't focus for the five and six. And so they train with an athlete group, a high school group. Then maybe a week later, they train only with the middle school groups and they learn what it's like to not touch a barbell, but to just do a ton of sleds and calisthenics and medicine ball work and jumping and, you know, being moving like a kid. Then the next week they'll train with the adults and then they learn what it's like to do a ton of like prehab for the knees, the shoulders, the back. And, uh, okay, we're training with a lot of women. So we're going to do, you know, a lot of lower body, a lot of abs. That's what they like. Oh, we're training with athletes. Guess what you're going to do all the time? Arms, you know, like Mm -hmm. they start learning these kind of different nuances. And, uh, when I was at Rutgers, I saw some of the interns and they looked like they didn't lift. And, um, I'm thinking to myself, man, They got to train with a group. They got to get under a bar because you cannot explain to somebody how to get, how to squat. Um, If you're, if you are not struggling, you don't know what it's like to grind out reps. You don't know what it's like to train when you're tired and manipulating your nutrition. So you have to do all these different things. And like you said, you learn uh, from lifting. You learn when you're coaching, you know, Oh, I got the same team at four and five, but the four o'clock group is way different than the five o'clock group personality wise. Now I got to coach them differently. Same sport, you know, same everything. So there's so many nuances, which makes strength and conditioning exciting. It makes it like really cool that there's, you feel like you're never smart enough. It's just a lot of times at night, you know, I'm down here, I'm maybe doing some programming. I'm like, dude, I got to get better. And then it's like, how many guys who are, you know, I, my first coaching job was 1995 at a hospital fitness center, 1995. So now it's 2021. So 25, um, 26 years ago. I don't know how many accountants in their 26th year are like, I got to get better at these numbers, you know, maybe, but in strength and conditioning, we're so, you know, fired up and passionate. That's what's crazy is like, I still feel like I'm young in this game, but um, you know, if you're in the college sector, they want young guys. They look at a 45 year old, like he's old school. He's washed up meathead. He's just, you know, about lifting weights. They, it, we're in our industry or our field is, is strange, you know, to put it, it lightly. Um, creating, creating buy-in is, is so vital. And that you talk a little bit about that with your staff and, and having them actually be under the bar, be training in their, in their internships. Uh, what about, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more there with, with staff and how you handle them as, as a, a coach and a leader. Um, what about athletes? 
See, that's tough. Yeah. They're exposed to so much information, just like we were talking about earlier. Yep. Uh, mainly YouTube and Instagram. I, one of the questions I ask people when they apply to train at my spot is what are the, what are the top apps you use on your phone and how long are you on them per day? Hmm. And it's very interesting to see where kids are spending their time and, and like, you know, TikTok, Snapchat, there's, there's a lot of fitness workout content on there and it's like 10 seconds, 15 seconds long. Um, and, uh, and a lot of these young athletes are, are high school, college athletes are, are following different things. But so how do you, how, how do you create buy-in? You know, when they're, yeah. when they're seeing all these different, these things, they come to you. Um, yeah. What's your, what's your process? I'm really, really curious to, to hear what your thoughts are on that. It's kind of, first of all, I, I, I struggle with that. You know, I have certainly not anywhere near mastered it. Sometimes I'm struggling with it in like, I suck at it. So, you know, we have the private facilities, <clears throat> that's different than when I'm at the high school or when I was at the college level. So at the private facility, it's like you, they're, they're at, they, the, the parents have to go through the website and sit down with their son or daughter and show them this is what it takes. Our website is, is like a pretty strict who we are for, who we are not for. Uh, then they do a trial, which I, you know, I very bluntly explain to them is like, it's a tryout to see your effort. I don't care how athletic you are. That's going to be our job, but <clears throat> you have to follow through on this work. Um, you know, you mentioned Jocko, he always, you know, extreme ownership. You take the blame for everything. I've been thinking about that a lot. And some of the athletes at the high school I coach at, they are to blame for their own weakness. Not me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't stopped them from showing up. Um, maybe I'm tough on them and maybe that stops them from showing up. But, uh, I always say what thing is not tough if I'm trying to be great at it, let alone good. So at the private sector, <clears throat> most of the time we have kids that follow through and want to do the work here and there. Some of them slip, maybe they get a first girlfriend and they lose all focus. Maybe their social network, their friends are kind of pulling them away. And now they are the only one doing kind of after school activity that's taking them away from their friends. And their friends are like, listen, that place is stupid. Just come with me. We'll go to, you know, this gym or that gym. You could do the same. It's all the same stuff. And so sometimes we'll lose kids. But for the most part at the private sector, <clears throat> they have goals and their actions are matching those goals. And we're basically providing the vehicle. We're coaching them. I'm pushing them. And I tell them, I will push you because I care about your success, period. My job is to protect you. So if you're not following through on the nutrition and the training, then I explain to them, then somebody else out there is doing it better and possibly going to hurt you play football, you play lacrosse, you're a wrestler, they're coming to, you know, they're going to inflict their physicality on you. So I need to protect you in that way. Now, <clears throat> at the college level, so interesting, you were talking about training and like getting under that bar. I had when I was at Rutgers, I had two groups. Um, and I, I don't know why it was split up a certain way it could have been class schedules and, and whatnot. But my um, I can't remember it was the first, I think it was the second group I would have. We had some fifth year seniors in there. 
we just had a different energy that I wasn't like feeling was popping compared to the first group. We would go 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. And so I said to the uh, head associate coach, I said, uh, man, I, I feel like I'm always more motivated than they are. I go, I think I might train with them one day and just show them like what training should look like. And so I'm 45. So at that time, I guess I was like 42, 41, maybe. And he, and I go, but I go, Cardinal sin is in college. You do not train with your own athletes. That is their time. He goes, Zach, let me tell you something. This is your program. And if you think that that's what you have to do to get them to perform and to, you know, elevate, you know, their, um, their training, then you do that. He goes, it's your program. And I was like, all right, I'm going to train with them. And I remember the first day I was training with them and I was just working so hard and I'm like talking smack and I'm like, I'm smoking you guys. I'm twice your age and I'm smoking. I'm like, it's too easy. I'm like, I'm going to come back in my next life and destroy you guys. Like, this is so easy. I'm squatting more. I remember I was so sore for like days. I was just like, oh my God, I'm like crippled after training with those guys. You know, you forget what it's like to be 21, 22. I don't even know, maybe one kid's 23. You've got no injuries. You've got the all the energy in the world. And I trained with that group for quite a long time. Not all the time, but quite often. It was extremely hard for me <laughs> to do that with them. Um, I didn't do the crazy warm-ups. I would have them do like all the gymnastics work. But that's what it took. I, I don't know if they felt like this is some guy saying stuff, but I had to get in it with them and like, spot them and they spot me and then all right you feel that now let's try it this way okay and also at the college level so many different personalities so a kid might text me at night and say coach you know what can we work on some fast twitch stuff i feel like i gotta get faster and that's their language they don't really know what they're saying just like a parent of an athlete will often say speed and agility or they'll say core strength they don't really know what they're saying, but you don't want to argue and say, there's no such thing as core. You know, it's the trunk. You don't want to say that. <laughs> right. So I say, absolutely. We're going to get in some fast twitch work tomorrow. So during the warm up, I make sure we're jumping more, throwing more medicine balls.